Welcome to Books with Bagby, a podcast about books. In this podcast, I sit down with authors discussing the reason behind certain books that they've written, or we just sit and talk about education, music, technology, or something of the like. If you find this podcast to be your cup of tea, make sure you like, subscribe, and all the things. And share it with your friends, because solos are for grain, not education. And now, Books with Bagby. Welcome to this episode of Books with Bagby. Today I have Becky Keene, author, speaker, and educator. So Becky, as we sit down with folks on this show, we, me, uh, I always ask, first and foremost, what were you thinking? What was the reasoning behind writing the book? So talk to us, tell the audience. And before I say, before you say anything, the book we're looking at, what's the title? Sail the Seven Seas with Microsoft Education. Stories? And a subtitle, Stories from Around the World. Transform and Inspire Your Classroom. Yes. Transform and Inspire, yes. Uh, Sail the Seven Seas. And yeah, uh, so before you even t- get into the reasoning for the book, I'm just going to stop you right there. Seven Seas? Wait a minute. I thought there were four Cs. I was like, wait a minute. Okay, we have collaboration, communication, computational so, thinking. So many Cs. Right, right. So and many Cs. they're like, yeah. There's seven, you, you, you like start off with seven. But before we get to all that, why did you do this? Why did we do it? So uh, I, it's always been on my, I don't use the term bucket list, but my, I call it my someday list. Um, my someday list to write a book. And uh, I was at an event with some friends. Mike Bolson came to me and said, hey, would you ever be interested in writing a book? And I was like, wait, what? Yes. Uh, I would love to. And we, we started talking about, um, if, if your listeners don't know who Mike Folson is. Uh, they should. Everyone should know. They, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> they should. I know. Um, we've So Mike and I have gotten to work together on lots of projects for the past, I don't know, like eight or more years. And he's just, he's a great guy. And we've done a lot of work, you know, together throughout, um, throughout our professional experience working with Microsoft Education. And so he, he was like, I, there's no books for Microsoft education. There's all these Google books, right? Um, Alice Keeler, Holly Clark have done amazing jobs. You know, lots of people have made sure that there's a lot out there for Google and there wasn't really a lot out there for Microsoft. Um, and I had taught in a Microsoft ecosystem in the classroom. I had done a lot of work with the tools that are in the Microsoft set. And he was like, that it would be great. You know, can I introduce you to some people who might be interested in making that happen. So it, it really kind of came to me based on the experiences I've had and the work that I had already done, writing blogs and so on. And, and so we got had the wonderful opportunity to reach out and include a co-author. So we invited Kathy Krasnowski to be a part of the project. And it was really interesting because Kathy and I exclusively, we met with a publisher together And then we went away for the weekend and kind of let it simmer. And when we came back together the following week to meet with the team at Dave Burgess, we had the same vision for the book, uh, even though we hadn't talked about it, which was pretty cool. So Kathy and I have both been pretty heavily invested in the worldwide education community. Um, I've been fortunate enough to go to events like Microsoft's Education Exchange E2 um, starting back in 2014. So I had had all of these, I've, I've spoken internationally, I've been able to connect with educators all over. And Kathy had had the same experience doing things with Flip Hunt and Skype in the Classroom and so on. 
And so we felt so strongly that we didn't want to write a book that was about like what I did, you know, exclusively. Um, we also didn't want it to be product centric because we know that the, those screenshots are outdated the minute you take them. Um, the you know, the strategies are the same, but like we didn't want to write a how-to book. What we wanted to write was something that celebrated teachers. I am consistently humbled by the phenomenal work that is happening with very little resources in other parts of the world. Um, and I'm impressed every day by teachers that do, you know, just truly amazing things with, with not as much. Um, and so we really wanted to highlight that. We interviewed 30 teachers on the six inhabited continents and um, picked out stories that we thought were really powerful, replicable, um, easy to implement, things people could do immediately, things that would really inspire educators. And when we narrowed all of that down, we had more than four C's. <laughs> um, and it was important to Kathy and I to talk about community, which is our first C, mm -hmm. because that's the whole premise of the book is being a part of an education educator community around the world that can, you know, challenge you and give you a different perception and connect your kids, build bridges, all these amazing things that, that we want to be doing. Um, and then we have the four C's that really morphed into five when Jeanette Wing came out with her computational thinking framework several years ago. And so we were like, we really felt strongly that that should be a separate C, although in the book, we kind of combine it a little bit. Uh, and then, and then change making was our final C. And that was because we knew so many educators who had, had really followed the trajectory of not just building up knowledge constructors, kids who can, you know, even, develop their own understanding of content and work together and complete projects and all that's great. But these are kids who are changing the world and they might be changing it just in their community or in their school or with their neighbors or with their classmates, but they also might be doing something that's impacting humanity on a really broad scale. Um, and so we, we wanted to include that as an opportunity for other educators to see how relatively simple that is. I think that so many of us get really overwhelmed by the idea of like, our kids are changing the world. Uh, but the reality is it's really easy to get started with the right communities and resources. So that's, that's where the seven came from and why we thought the book was really important. Thank you for that. Yeah, some background. I like the seven. So what deep lessons or ideas do you want um, want the readers to walk away with from this book? Is it the community or the idea of the seven or I don't know. You know I, I like I kind of probably teased that right in my my overview of the book answer. Um, yes. So first of all, one of the things and I will just give, you know, just a tiny, tiny throw under the bus to teachers in the US education system who really have so much. Um, I come from a school district that was rich in resources, but our kids didn't always have home internet. Um, lots and lots of disparity among home access, 100%. I taught in a really high need middle school with lots and lots of issues um, in, in a, a very difficult area of the Seattle, Washington area. However, inside the school, you know, every kid had a device we had great internet access and the teachers are still complaining about like, well, if all my kids stream HD discovery ed videos, it kind of breaks up a little bit. You're like, okay. 
Um, let's look at the reality is you can do so much with so little. And so part of it is I hope that teachers are inspired by allowing their students to collaborate, communicate, think critically, work together and, and go do amazing things, be creative without constantly giving them limitations. I think as teachers, we sometimes are vocal about what we don't have or need or can't do education without. And those are real needs for those people. And so I wanna value that. However, it's nice to look at other teachers in other schools, other systems and realize what we can do with the materials and resources that we have access to. And so that was part of my goal um, was to be able to, to give those examples and say, hey, you know, you, you don't have to have every kid on a device. You don't have to have streaming broadband. You don't have to have, have to have, have to have. Um, you can do a lot with one computer and an internet connection. Yes. Uh, which is the reality in so many schools worldwide. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, prior to the pandemic, we were so... I can't believe the disparity. Disparity. I can't, okay, my mouth isn't working. My tongue isn't working. But I couldn't believe the difference in school A versus school B or district A versus school B, uh, district B in regards to just connectivity alone. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm glad that we made it. Uh, I well, I think we made it something that we all need to realize that broadband, like in some of these foreign countries, like you, your teacher from Sweden, is a uh, mm -hmm. public right it's a utility it's one of those things that everyone has access because we know that we need access but the whole idea of thinking you don't need all the things you really right. don't um, and setting limits like you were talking about one of the books that i'm reading along with a thousand others actually i just finished it a while back and i'm reading it again limitless by jim quick and it's just a great book that talks about mindsets and how if we get in our mind, especially teachers, oh, we can't do that because we don't have this. We don't have that. Right. Then we're hurting the kids. I think we're hurting the kids. I think we need to figure out ways or allow the kids to even figure out ways. But that's just my humble opinion. I like. <laughs> I didn't opinion. write the book. You did. <laughs> so speaking well, of writing the book. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, I just would add the other thing we want people to walk away with is is a pathway to allow for kids to do what they dream of doing. Mm. Um, and we know that our current generation of learners are more invested than ever in things that they feel are relevant and authentic and have purpose. Um, they will turn down high paying jobs to go run their blog, you know, from scratch because that's, that's their driving passion. And yes. so if we're, if we're, completely discounting passion-based learning and student-guided projects, we're losing so many students. So we, we hope that that shines through as well. Well, I have to throw this in since you said the word like three times. Um, I always say <laughs> RPM equals AS, which you're like, what the heck are you talking about? Relationships okay. plus passion. Okay. And M is motivation and mindset equals okay. academic success. Because yes. we have to have the kids being passionate. They have to have those authentic relationships with folks. I say we have to. This is just my opinion. But uh, I think if we don't tap into their passions and the things that they love and the things that motivate them, 
then we're not going to get them as far as, well, as we want them, nowhere near as far as they want to go. So. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah. I know you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought you were asking me to talk about my book and now you keep talking. No, Either it's a way. conversation. I like it. So what was your greatest challenge in writing the book? Um, was it working with the co-author or how, what, what was it and what, how did you overcome it? So Kathy and I actually worked so well together. We, she lives on the East Coast. I live on the West Coast of the United States. We had a shared notebook, a OneNote notebook, of course, because it's a Microsoft book. Note, of course. Yes. Right. Yeah, of course we worked in OneNote. Um, we met about every week over Teams and just checked in and, you know, made progress. And we had all sorts of documents and Kathy's really good about making things cute and pretty and adding emojis and color. And so that actually was really easy. The hardest part of the whole process was handing off the manuscript to the publisher. They had told us to aim for a specific word count. We, or, or more like, you know, go for it. Sky's the limit. We can always cut. Right. And what we got back, they had in their expertise and professionalism, stripped out some things, rearranged some things, really, truly made it better. Um, but that process was really difficult. It's hard to have someone to hand off something that you think is great yes. and have a completely neutral, you know, unbiased third-party professional come back and say, actually, you know, this 20,000 words didn't fit. And, you know, it miraculously goes from this larger thing down to small. They really refined a lot of the work. They weeded out some stories. They consolidated some things. And at the end of the day, Kathy and I had to sit and let that marinate mm, and then yeah. determine because it is our book and our publisher is amazing and had said to us, but this is your book. So this is our opinion, but this is your book. So wow. if you would like to put, you know, to put some things back or to push back on a suggestion, that's that's what you should be doing. So we let it sit for a weekend. We read it again a couple of times. And then we went back to our publisher and the editor who we were working with, who was amazing, and said, okay, here's, here's what, you know, a couple of things that got cut we really want to have in the book. And so he helped us find out where that fit best, how it could resonate best, because, you know, you don't always see that when you're the one putting it together. Yes. Um, and so he had even suggested we not use all seven C's and, and, you know, add strength in different ways, but that was something that was kind of a hill to die on for us because it was the title and it just worked with like, Dave Burgess does all the pirate books. So we're like, no, like we want the C the seven C's. So, so we ended up putting that back, but that it was hard. It was hard. And, you know, I've been critiqued certainly as a writer, as an adult, as a professional, um, but that was something that was really, really interesting to go through. Well, I don't know if I should say um, I've interviewed a couple of folks uh, from the same publishing company. None of them had that issue. They just looked at it and said, oh, it's perfect. So that was <laughs> <laughs> OK, maybe not. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's everyone's trying to surface the right information. And I appreciated the process a lot because it did make it better. Yes. Yeah. Well, great. So do you all have any publications coming out on the horizon or is this one and done? Or is Mike going to talk to you again and say, hey, or Robin or somebody? Yeah, yes. <laughs> well, I yeah. So I have a couple of ideas, actually. Um, I have the book that I've always wanted to write, like since since I started in education. So like 2000, so 22 years. 
Um, I've wanted to write a book about diversifying uh, reading instruction because mm. my, um, so my master's degree is in elementary literacy. I'm nationally board certified in adolescent literacy. Oh. Um, I, it's funny because I work so much in ed tech, people assume that's been my focus, but actually my like graduate work has all been in literacy. And that's what I care about. If I'm gonna you know, talk about a content area, I always, literacy is my go-to. So I think that, so I would love to write a book about that. And I actually know the title, but I'm not gonna say it out loud. <laughs> I don't want to put it out there, but I would love to write a book about that um, because I think there's still a lot to be done in teaching literacy and teaching it well and and freeing kids. I'm going to say it from programs like AR where we're just like generating points and and I'm going to say that out loud because that's what I believe <laughs> um, and that's my opinion, so I can say it. But I think so. I think that would be cool. And then I also I also have been doing a lot of work lately with game based learning. That's the thing that I get asked to speak on the most is game-based learning. And I, I think it would be really fun to write a book that supports the, the teacher who is, is not a gamer, who doesn't, who doesn't, you know, game all weekend. They're not, um, they don't have an origin story in gaming, but they value game-based learning. What, what do those educators do and how do they get started? I think that would be really interesting. Wow. Uh, okay. So I'd get them. I would get both because <laughs> no, I wasn't a literacy person. My wife, she actually teaches a children's literature class at a college. Oh, uh, yeah. She's in the ed department and she does that thing. Uh, but mm -hmm. my sister-in-law, who's a fifth grade teacher, she and we were having a discussion. So a lot of folks in my family are teachers. And we have edu talk like every Sunday when they all come over for a meal and sure. and we were talking about literacy and my nephew was saying something about what about phonics and what about and we were like oh my goodness why are we having this conversation about literacy and a phonemic awareness and all these things and these kids uh, nephew he's a junior <laughs> but oh. he's been hearing these words from his mom and dad because. Dad was a fifth grade teacher, but now he's a guidance counselor. And it's just, once again, my wife's a teacher. I'm a teacher. It's yeah. just one of those things. So yeah, I'm excited about this literacy and the game-based learning because as a administrator, I always look for ways to make sure my students were engaged and mm. um, game-based learning is a, a great way to engage students. And uh, I think Weston and I talked about that at some point, or maybe we just talked about engagement, who knows, but either way, I think they're going to be amazing. Well, thank you. We'll see. <laughs> well, now we'll that we talked about your book, what is your EDU passion? What is your soapbox talk? What is the thing that you want to do that other hill that you'll die on? And you can say, put it out there. And then thanks for coming to my TED talk. And <laughs> well, oh, I have so many. Where, oh. where, where to start? I, One I or two. Joke, I'm free with my opinions. Um, uh, so a couple of things. Well, one is game-based learning. Um, I think, I think it's incredibly powerful. And one of the things that I've seen recently, I've been journeying into the world of esports, which has been really fun. I've learned a lot. I've gotten to see it in action. I've gotten to publish a handbook through um, the company I work for, I2E. I've been able to 
um, you know, connect with amazing esports award-winning educators who are coaches, directors, all of that, um, which has been really powerful. And I've I've noticed that in the gaming industry, there tends to be a a, a demographic of people who very much identify as gamers. And I don't. I love to play games. Like I, I enjoy board games. I enjoy card games very much. I enjoy yard games like backyard, you know, croquet, badminton. Um, I, I enjoy that. I, I have never enjoyed video games. It's not something that I will sit down and naturally do. Yeah. I've been, I, I know, I know. <laughs> I've had lots of opportunities since I was little. I mean, my family, I had older brothers, which doesn't, just means that when I was very little, there was access to those types of things because I had older siblings who were ready to yes. play. And, and so I had exposure. I have children of my own who love to play. Um, you know, we have a game system. I, I have access. I enjoy playing with my children when they invite me, but <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm not one that is going to tell you all about how I spent my weekend. And it happens to be in video games. Um, I just choose to enjoy my time differently, but I see incredible value in video games, uh, incredible value. Um, I've been around some people who have really helped change my perspective on video games and how games can be used as education in education. And, and I'm a great listener. I like to think sometimes. <laughs> and so and so that's the soapbox that I've kind of been on is, hey, there's this niche of educators who aren't playing games on the weekend, right? You know, maybe they're reading or going to movies or they're out hiking or, you know, who knows what they're doing, but they're not playing video games on the weekend. But come Monday, how can we help them be comfortable using games in their classroom if they're not naturally, you know, gravitating toward playing that way? And I think that I think that I have a voice there um, to help talk to educators about getting started in gaming, um, supporting kids in gaming, being an esports coach. You know, just because you don't play Valorant on the weekend or Rocket League doesn't mean you can't run a club at your school um, effectively. Yes. And so that's kind of been my hill to die on recently. Is you know just because is that anyone can do it. If it's great pedagogy, it shouldn't matter how you spend your free time. You know, lots of people are great literacy teachers that don't spend all weekend reading. Hmm. Right? That's possible. I don't, I, I didn't spend all my time doing math or writing narratives, but I was successful teaching those things to kids. So I think that that um, is something that I would like to talk more about. Hmm. Well, I, how, I I was just going to say, I saw in the back of the book, all the cool people uh, that you list in the back of the book. And I believe Stephen Isaacs was one of them. Mm -hmm. And he's, yeah, I would pose that question to him about getting teachers to do gaming. Uh, remember years ago when he periscoped in his classroom just to show what the kids were doing. Some yep. were playing games, some were creating games. I was like, that's amazing. Yes. So Steve has been a friend. We met years ago. Um, he's worked for I2E with me. Oh. We've done Mind Fair together. 
Yes. Uh, we now partner with him um, under Unreal Engine and help yeah. support that product as he now works for Epic Games. So yes, Steve, Steve is a great, um, a great connection and an absolute inspiration. And he has done a great job of, you know, he, he is a gamer. Oh yeah. And so he's like plowed the way where people weren't ready to go there yet. And now I think it's becoming mainstream. Like the outliers have done their job. The early adopters have done their job. How do we bring now the, the middle crowd of educators who, who could easily make it there now? Mm -hmm. Minecraft is one example, right? I do a lot of work around Minecraft in education. Um, I manage a lot of world builds, help write lessons, help um, content get out for kids. Um, a lot of, a lot of content, but I, I don't, you know, I don't sit and play on the weekends and that's okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's my little, that's my newest soapbox. Okay. Well, one of the cool things about your book, like I was saying, the change makers that you list in the back of the book, um, a list of phenomenal educators. If you don't have the book, you need to get the book. So just so you can have that list of educators. Just the list. Thank you. Uh, and well, oh yeah, I read the other stuff before you get to those change makers. But uh, <laughs> uh, just quick shout out to one of your change makers, Tammy Dunbar. Mm -hmm. She is amazing. We were in where Texas somewhere playing rock band together at this Axroid place, and we just had so much fun. Uh, we were there for some other meeting with actually a meeting with NCCE, and we ended up playing rock band together over and over and over because well, she's a musician and I'm a musician and. It was oh, just perfect. one of those things that, yeah, we we bonded over rock band at a that, eatery in Texas. Awesome. Yeah, eatery. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, Becky, this has been rather fun. Thank you very much for your time and coming out and hanging out with us today. Uh, before you go, how can people connect with you? Uh, I assume you're on Twitter. You do. You said something about blogs. I don't know if you want to give out an email. I don't know. You just tell me what you want and I'll put them in the show notes or at least on the website where people can click and find you. Um, so talk to us. How can we connect? Well, you know, I'm on Twitter. Oh yeah, you are. Because <laughs> we're connected on Twitter. Um, so at Becky Keen uh, is my Twitter handle. I'm most active on Twitter. Um, that's hands down the fastest, easiest way to grab all. That's where I put most of my content. Um, I probably should be better about doing it differently, but Twitter's just so easy. Um, I yeah. do, right, like, I, it's just one, one click, I'm done, just add some alt text. Um, but I do have a website, beckykeen.com, and that links to all my stuff. So, you know, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, Skype, what up? Clubhouse, Sorry. Where, Yeah, right? I haven't been on Clubhouse in forever. I know. But, it was really great like, when it first came out. Everyone was like, oh, look at Clubhouse. Yeah, we were and like, like yeah. Ooh, let me invite you. Now I know like, it was so exciting. And then I we're think like, oh. I have to reload that app on my phone or something. I don't know. Just, just kind of became, yeah, an echo chamber. But uh, I, yes. I, so you can, yeah, um, I'm kind of on all the social handles and beckykeen.com also has a contact. So people can get in touch with me that way, which is, um, which is really fun. And I do a newsletter occasionally called Bectacular News, where I share things that I think are bectacular. Oh. and uh that's fun so so yeah I'd love to I love to stay in touch one of my favorite things if you can't tell is connecting with educators around the world and hearing their stories and getting and being able just to share and support each other so I love that well Becky thank you for coming on and you Thanks have been spectacular 
<laughs> no, I don't use it for myself. <laughs> I only use it for other people. Okay, so you weren't spectacular. I take it back. <laughs> it's okay. Can I use it? I can't use it. You on can you? use it. You can use it. Yeah. Okay. But I, I don't ever want people to feel like it's self-serving, you know, so it's like what I use for other stuff. But yes, thank you. I appreciate it. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time on <laughs> and whether you're a change taker or a change maker, uh, as always, I like to make sure everyone remembers to ask good questions, answer the ones they can, make someone feel special and be great because you are great. Have a great afternoon.